when the guys asked me what my perfect night would be, I told them the truth. Beer and board games. They thought I was kidding. I was not kidding. Welcome to the club like, what up, I got a hit song. I'm so pumped about some clothes from the thrift shop. Ice on the fringe, it's so, so frosty. The people like, hey, the guy on the marquee. Rolling in super deep, heading to the mezzanine. Dressed in all pink, set my gator shoes. Those are green. Draped in the leopard mink. Girl standing next to me. Probably should have watched this. Smells like my baseball cleats. But hey, it was 99 cents. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what that sound means. It means it's episode 150 of the Personal Arrogance Podcast brought to you by the Bald Move Network. Uh, I am one of your hosts. My name is Eric Walquist. And joining me this week, as he has for the last 150 episodes or somewhere around there, (laughs) is... Uh, I am Jesse Exiled to the Porch Wilson. Exiled to the Porch. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's it's a new low. Outdoor casting. It is. I well, feel like a fly fisherman. Well, we do have... Uh, we, we've done porch casts before. We have done porch casts before. That's true. Yeah. So it's a lateral move from my lowest of the lows. <laughs> I do uh, just want to acknowledge our theme song this week. Opening up our, our, uh, our momentous 150th episode is uh, Kids... What is it? Kids Bop? Kids Bop. Kids Bop Thrift Shop. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody finds better lyrics to replace cuss words. <laughs> Smells like my old sneakers. <laughs> Smells like my soccer cleats. <laughs> yeah, my favorite part it. was the mouth harp that goes boing. <laughs> 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 oh, it's so bad. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> we like to story. punish our listeners on landmark episodes. Yeah, yeah. If it's if it's a landmark episode, expect a, expect a little bit of punishment. Uh, but we're gonna jazz you just because we jazz each other so much. Jesse, speaking of jazzing, how was your jazzing week? Uh, been better. Yeah, me too. Yeah, de- definitely been better. When it rains, it pours, man. Yeah, but you know, it's it's the summertime. It's the longest day of the year. Is it? Yeah. So it's all downhill from here. Well, you know, but it's, it's a, I mean, uh, that's not fair. It's not even summertime. It's officially summer today. Oh, is it? Yeah, today's the official start of summer. Well, fan fucking test. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long, slow descent into <laughs> five o'clock. I'm still at work, and the sun's down, and I'm freezing, and the Seahawks are losing. Hey, Seahawks are going to win a Super Bowl this year, buddy. Well, they better with the amount of money they're shelling out. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like today is literally the longest day of the year, so it's we're recording this right now. It's eight fifty-two p.m. It is pretty light outside. It is light. It's like uh, it, you know the sun's not going to set for another hour, hour and twenty minutes or so. Yeah, so well, I'll be outside when it happens. How? Hey, hey speaking of uh, Seattle sports, how'd that? Uh, what was it? A seven and zero lead with Felix on the mound go? Hey, what is this? Sea Dog Press Box podcast? Brought to, you by, like, brought to you by the Eric Walkless Network. <laughs> some Cy Young award winner. Well, everybody's going to blow a lead. Everyone, and, the, and the Angels just, are the... You brought this on yourself, so, so love no, it. No, it's fine. But blow a lead, it's one thing. But 7-0. Yeah, seven seven well, the, but the thing is, like, the Angels are the one team are, that has always gotten the Felix Hernandez. The Angels and the Indians are, like, the two teams. Like, if he's pitching against the Red Sox or the Yankees, it's going to be lights out. If he's pitching against the Angels or the Indians, it's going to be a little shaky. Yeah, he plays down. Yeah, he plays down to his competition. He doesn't want him to feel bad. 
I mean, the <laughs> Angels ever Angels were a team that everybody picked to be in the World Series this year, and they are literally competing with the Mariners for third place in the AL West right now. Yikes. That was that's not where that's not where they were expecting to be at this point this season. So he doesn't want to make them feel bad. Felix Hernandez has a heart. Well, there you go. That's that's the uh, that's the remainder of the baseball talk until the All Star break. Actually, I do have one more thing, and this is a okay. shameless plug, but this is the 150th episode. So uh, I have a T-shirt that I designed. Oh, this is really cool, actually. Yeah, so I have a T-shirt that I designed. The Mariners put together this T-shirt contest, uh, and they're going to hand out – whoever wins this contest, they're going to hand out the shirt to the first 5,000 fans on the July 9th game against the Red Sox. So my design got picked as one of the five finalists for this competition, which is really cool. Um, it's a Game of Thrones-inspired shirt. It says Game of Throws. The oh, I get it. Yeah. The winners are coming. Uh, get it? No. Fantastic. It's like winter is coming. Uh, and, Still don't get it. And then you have, uh, and then you have, uh, you know, Felix Hernandez and Hisashi Iwakuma on it. It's a really cool experience. Uh, in fact, my friend uh, just tweeted me. They just showed it on television, which I was very excited about. But I need the listeners. This is the 150th episode, so I need you guys. You've been on TV before, by the way. What? You you have me? I, yeah. Yeah, I've been, but I was a G four. Like this is in a Mariners game, dude. Yeah, but also like you, you basically designed a commercial that was on TV for like two years. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So why are you so excited about? Because this, this is a T-shirt design in a Mariners. Like the Mariners are my favorite thing in the world, dude. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. So anyway, listener, I need you. I need you to help me out because I need votes for this shirt in order to win and get everybody wearing a Game of Thrones inspired shirt at a Mariners game, which is going to be hilarious. Uh, so please. If you can, tweet. If you're near a computer right now, tweet. Stop what you're doing. Tweet the hashtag S-E-A-T-E-E and the number one. That's C-T-1. Say it with me now. S-E-A-T-E-E and the number one. Tweet that hashtag. You can tweet every day from now until Tuesday. You can you can vote once per day with C-T-1. Please do that. It will help me out a ton, and uh, it would be awesome if my design got handed out a Mariners game. I might... Like, it would be the most surreal experience in my life. Uh, and uh, what do you get out of this? You get paid? I get zero dollars, but I do get a batting practice experience, whatever that is. <laughs> so I think I get to be, like, on the field during batting practice and probably, like, get to shake some hands and take some pictures with some Mariners, which would be awesome. A batting practice experience. Yeah. Interesting. And presumably good tickets to the game, too. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. They just shuffle you out the door. Right. All right. You're done. Bye. Have fun. Oh, you weren't one of the first 5,000, so I'm sorry. Yeah, you don't, you don't get, get a t-shirt. <laughs> All right. So regardless, guys, if you could help me out, tweet the hashtag CT1. I would be immortally grateful to you. Yeah. Oh, you missed the opportunity. What? To have like... All right, like an image of like the Mariners batters, you know, right? And then a bunch of stormtroopers, and uh -huh. they're all like firing into the air, and no one's hitting anything. <laughs> and you're like, neither of them can hit. That's that's what the shirt says. That's pretty funny, dude. So the last one. So the reason why I did this Game of Thrones pun inspired shirt is because the last one that won last month was "May the Morse be with you" for Michael Morse. So you know, groaners are good. Anyway, yeah, I love in and grounding out Seattle Mariners. 
I just love the idea of at least we could hit better than Stormtroopers. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> and then there's Sean Figgins on the bench frowning. Sean Figgins isn't on the TV either, dude. What Neither era is, are you in? All what my era are you from in? a year to five years ago. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to dedicate. This is our 150th episode. It's a momentous occasion. We're very excited. Um, and, uh, and so I just want to dedicate this to the listener because, uh, you know, ever since we joined, especially since we joined the Bald Move Network, this show has really become about our listeners and our listeners giving us feedback and telling us what to talk about and us gabbing about it and then listening to it. And then it's this feedback loop that's awesome. So I got to thank the uh, the listeners Big time, uh, you know, everybody, all of our regulars, you know, JR from Philly, Roger Dotsie, Heath from St. Louis, you got John and John from New England. There's just, every, there's a lot of people and the Martinez clan down in Texas, every, all of the listeners, we love you so much and thank you so much for, for being a part of the show. Um, Jesse, what are you drinking this week? Uh, well, I actually decided to treat myself. I got the uh, Rayon Vert. Belgian style pale ale mm-hmm. with uh, Britannomyces. This is from Green Flash Brewing Company. It's a two dollars and two cents bottle from the local bottle shop, which is a little bit overpriced. The bottle shop is. Uh huh. So I mean, like, it's inexpensive. If the if the local bottle shop, which charges more than it should, only charges two bucks, I mean, this is a cheap ass bottle. Yep. But uh, it's really tasty. And it's got a nice uh, hint of Britannomyces, and uh, I like it. All right. Well, uh, this week I am drinking the Islander Pale Ale from Maritime Pacific Brewing Company. Just a really good, refreshing pale ale for summer. I love it. Um, the last time I had it was on a on a camping trip to Leavenworth, uh, and it's just like it's so good. It's just a good, refreshing pale ale. Um, I enjoy it. So Maritime Pacific, baby. Um, so speaking of our listeners, uh, you, we had a ton of phone calls this week and, and, uh, you know, we did tell you to call us, so <laughs> that's probably why. Uh, but, uh, we got so many phone calls this week that we actually turned it into a mega mail, uh, with multiple phone calls from all over the country. So I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and play the mega mail right now. Hey guys, I was wondering if the apocalypse happened and you were remnants. What would you use as a prosthetic leg if you had lost one of your legs? Anyways, uh, stay arrogant and get off my bird back rack. How's it hanging, guys? It's JR from Philly. Hey, I have one last event I forgot to mention from my Philly Beer Week recap. Me and my buddy drove to stop by the local homebrew supply store for a tasting event put on by Free Will Brewing Company using the Seibel Institute Basic Sensory Training Kit. This was a really cool experience to learn how to spot brewing defects. Basically, they take 24 pitchers of Coors Light, because why ruin good beer, and they pollute them with vials of different impurities. And then they have cards in front of each of the pitchers describing the impurities, what causes it, and whether it's ever acceptable in beer. So some of the things that can go wrong, you can have an isovaleric beer, which is like cheesy, sweaty socks, and that comes from using old degraded hops. Or acidic, vinegar-like, comes from bacterial contamination. Um, Butric, tastes like rancid butter, also bacterial contamination. So there's a whole bunch of different gross 
impurities that you got to check out. So that was, of course, exciting. And pretty much bacterial contamination is the cause of all the problems, uh, or at least most of them. Then Free Will had some samplings of good beer to wash the grossness out of your mouth. So this was really cool, and I'd highly recommend checking out something like this if folks ever get the chance. So this weekend, I'm excited. My fiance and I are going to a big beer festival in Lansdale. There's over 100 different breweries and 200 different beers. So I'll let you know what I find that's good there. So until next time, get off my Baxter. Did you just eat a whole wheel of cheese? I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. <laughs> I said, hey, life, I'm taking you by the reins. Then I said, hey, this is the pain. My name is Aaron Martinez. Hey, guys, sorry I'm a week late. Um, wanted to say thanks for the best birthday song ever. It was awesome and hilarious. In fact, um, I'm trying to pull the audio because I'm thinking it would make a pretty great ringtone. It's kind of like I have my own theme song now. I go around singing it all the time, just making up different lyrics. Um, the only downside was after I shared it on Facebook, I got an uncomfortable text from my mom that said, did he say you came out of your mother's womb and left it like an empty tomb? So there's that. Anyway, like I said, I just wanted to say thanks. I'm Aaron Martinez. Get off my back. All right, guys, it's Josh Remain calling in. Uh, congratulations on your 150th episode. I've listened to about 80 of them, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Um, anyway, I think last week I talked about um, summer brews and, and lemon in them, and I understand that not everybody puts lemon in them. I think what I meant to talk about more was the citrusiness and the, the over-flowery summer brews. Um, but anyway, uh, about the cans, uh, microbrews and cans are uh, not one of my favorite things now. My brother-in-law was drinking a craft beer out of a can this Father's Day, and my son grabbed it. He's eight months old, and he cut his finger. Now, he didn't care, but I did because I put a Band-Aid on it, and he tried to eat it. And then when I was running it under cold water in the kitchen sink, he couldn't stop grabbing the tongs from the grill and trying to drink the water. Anyway, it was a fun 15 minutes trying to get the, the bleeding to stop. And uh, so I'm very anti-craft uh, beer in cans because it cuts babies. Anyway, guys, um, I think you should put PBR in the Personal Air Against Beer Hall of Fame because if you do that, then it will become popular and hipsters will stop buying it. Anyway, uh, that's all. Look forward to hearing the show. Get off my back and stay arrogant. Good evening, guys. This is James in Maryland. Uh, I have a couple things I wanted to say real quick and uh, the meat of my phone call. Three things. One. I tried the Heavy Seas White IPA, which is a summer seasonal, and it's oh, it's very enjoyable. You guys should find it and check it out. Number two, the company that constructed the Space Needle in Seattle was, if you guys can figure this one out, I don't know if you know this, the Pentagram Corporation. That sounds like the beginning of some very interesting horror movie. And final number three, I have a funny story I just wanted to share with you guys. I was in line at the Royal Farms Convenience Store. It's a local area kind of situation. And there was a young man in front of me who was buying a Slurpee. And as he got up to the register, he asked for a three-pack of condoms. When the clerk told him how much money it was, he said, oh, I don't have enough. I'll just get the Slurpee. 
The scary thing is that kid, the result of that, of that uh, interesting affair, is going to be populating America someday. Just something fun to think about. As always, um, you know, get off my back and all that good stuff. Bye. Hi, Eric. This is Melody. Um, my friend Angela Martinez is a big fan of your show, and she and I were going to call and sing the Big Red song to you. Um, but she messed up and didn't want to do it, so I'm going to sing it with Joe, and she's going to be really jealous when she hears it when you play it on the air. And you, I hope you do that. So we're going to sing it. All right. All right. Just a little longer, make it last a little longer. A little longer, longer with the big red. Big red. Your fresh breath goes on and on while you chew it. Say goodbye a little longer, make it last a little longer. Give your breath long last of freshness with big red. Just so I finish it up for him. That's pretty good. Get off my back, everybody. Mm, get off my back, everyone. So we have a lot to talk about in these. First of all, prosthetic leg in the apocalypse. Um, I gotta go with chainsaw leg. Chainsaw leg's good. I like bazooka leg, but <laughs> I feel like that's gonna backfire. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Yeah, like chainsaw legs totally safe. <laughs> It's only going to take off your other leg and then, hey, double chainsaw leg. Then chainsaw bazooka leg. I don't know. I might go with, like, dog leg, like dog fur That's what I was thinking was, like, horse leg. Ooh, you went up me on that one. Or, like, kangaroo leg if you have access to a kangaroo. Yeah. I mean, then you're basically unstoppable. Yeah, Mad Max situation. (laughs) Uh, Second of all, impurities in beer. Um, So, Jesse, one thing, I I go out to the bar with you and you're always, like, Oh, dude, they did not clean their pipes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I can, I can, I can tell when there's gross lines. Right, gross lines. Like, so, kind of explain that a little bit, because I think that's the number one thing. Because now I notice it. So, thank you for ruining my beer experience. Yeah, I know. I this to. is the thing. I mean, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. It's like, how much knowledge do you really want? Yeah. But it's not going to enhance your experience. Yeah, but at the same time, like. It it helps you determine because especially in a city like Seattle, you have a ton of beer bars. It helps you kind of determine which beer bars are legit. Uh, yeah. But, so just I explain mean, what 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 it tastes like if they have bad lines. It's also like literally my job. It's, yep. <laughs> well, it's basically like um, I don't know. It it can taste like uh, cheese or it can taste like potatoes. Like uh, it'll just imagine like mm-hmm. a brew. It, the easiest way to do it is like. You know, there's a beer that you like, and you know it well, and you know what it's supposed to taste like, and you've had it clean off of draft before, and you've had it in bottles, and then you go to another place and it tastes different. It's probably because of the lines, and there's a lot of factors. Like, uh, it depends on where the cold room is. Like, there's a there's a bar in town that has notoriously long lines, yes. which means literally there's an entire pint or two pints worth of beer sitting in line, Ugh. and a, a good beer bar will have insulated lines, and a great beer bar will have glycol refrigerated lines. Mm-hmm. So, like, lit- literally, uh, they'll take, you know, there'll be the beer line, and then there will be a uh, glycol line. A gly- glycol is just, like, a chemical that conducts uh, heat really well and therefore conducts cold really well. So it's like a refrigerated chemical that runs 
it doesn't touch the beer, but it runs opposite of the beer, like a heat exchanger, like your radiator. Uh-huh. Your car to be, to keep it cool when it's in the line, and then those will be wrapped together and insulated. And uh, anyway, so like that way, the beer isn't warming up when it's in the line. But sometimes, like if you get, you know, you're early at a bar, it's not busy. You get a a beer that's not popular, especially like there's this place called the like Tap House in uh, downtown Seattle. Yep, yep. They have like 120 taps. Yeah, which is cool, but you know. What are the chances? Right. Maybe you get a popular one, but if you get an obscure one, that beer's been sitting in the line, and they're not going to pour it out and wait for fresh beer to get through. So yeah. you're going to get beer that's been sitting in the line. It's warmed up, which means it's yeah. getting flat. It's getting nasty. It's just not tasting good, and it's sitting in that line, and that's not a sterile environment. So you'll get beer that's just not tasting good. Yeah, and then I, if they do, I mean, you have to clean your lines, too. Mm-hmm. Some bars are too lazy, and you're losing product. I mean, if you have 120, say you have 120 taps, right, and then you're like, okay, we're going to clean all the lines on Monday, and we have one pint worth of beer in each line. When you clean those lines, you're losing 120 pints of beer, you know, to them yeah. that's like losing $600, $700 every time you clean your lines. So that deters them from doing it. And they're yep. like, well, we don't need to clean the lines. Our, cl- our lines are fine. And you get <laughs> you get bacterial growth. You just get scuzzy, disgusting stuff building up in your lines. And what sucks for us is like, I, I know I'm ranting about this, but like. <laughs> no, don't worry. We'll talk about something you're passionate about later. Yeah, it, like literally, that that nasty bacterial growth can go backwards into the keg. Oh God! Infect the entire keg, and then uh, you whatever they don't give a fuck at the at the bar. They're just trying to get money. They they sell the beer, but they send the keg back to us, and then uh, you know we clean the keg and everything. But there's always a chance of shit surviving. So like, if there's a nasty line that our keg gets you know put on, it comes back to our brewery. And it becomes our liability. Yeah. Because, you know, that that could spoil I mean, literally, that could make its way all the way back to our fermenters if we're not careful. And that wow. I mean, that could ruin a brewery. Well, so bad lines are bad. Bad lines are bad. Uh I always describe it as kind of a buttery flavor in your beer. That's well, how I can butter's a different thing. Oh, it is? Yeah, butter. Well, it's good that you're picking up butter. Yeah, Eric. totally. Picking up uh, the butter. butter is a result of diacetyl. Uh huh. Diacetyl is a natural byproduct of yeast. All yeast create diacetyl, oh, but they uh, they reuptake it later in the in the yeast life cycle. So like, uh, it depends on your yeast strain and the flocculation of the yeast strain. But like, yeah, at the classic. brewery where I work, we're super super careful not to send out diacetyl beer. So we have like we have a three day uh, diacetyl rest, which is super long. Uh-huh. And it's basically just waiting. Like, the beer's done. It's ready to be cooled and carbonated and everything. Uh, it's done fermenting. But we give it those three extra days to rest and reuptake. Like, the yeast literally reabsorbs the diacetyl. So you get diacetyl in the summer a lot with certain breweries, especially breweries that use an English ale strain of yeast um, yep. because that's a high diacetyl producer. And uh, in the summer... You're a brewery. This is where you make all your money. Uh, you know, demand is high. You want to crank out the product. Maybe you say uh, 24 hours is enough diacetyl rest because it's really a matter of interpretation. And maybe you 
ship it out, and the dia- it tastes fine at the time, but the diacetyl will reemerge, especially as a keg ages a little bit, and uh, that's where you get your butter beer. Well, there you go, guys. Second <laughs> of all, uh, I-, I forgot to give a shout out to Josh Perigo in Maine uh, for he's 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 also a constant caller in. Um, cutting his baby's fingers on beer cans. Yeah, that's not good. I think that uh, that's a great slogan for beer cans is they cut babies. <laughs> we will cut your baby. By glass. Older, By glass. Aaron Martinez, I love you so much. Uh, I love how we had both the Martinez brothers on the cast this week. One of them was drunkenly singing the Big Red song, and the other one was drunkenly singing his own song. <laughs> so that's great. And then finally, we had a new caller from Maryland talking about the Pentagram Corporation building the Space Needle. I'm not surprised, frankly. Yeah, I've me got... either. That's why it's always uh, being destroyed in horror movies. Exactly. I mean, I've got the a... Illuminati is at war with the Pentagram. <laughs> exactly. Uh, corporation. Also, the Pentagram Corporation. I mean, the Pentagram is very close to the Elder Sign. This is true. So just saying. I can't. I cannot thank our listeners enough for calling in. I, we do have a couple more phone calls. We're going to roll those in the topics because we got a ton of phone calls this week. It's awesome. Uh, once again, listeners, this show's about you, and uh, we're only able to do 150 episodes because you're here to listen to it, and you're here to feed us back, and you're here to be a part of it. So, thank you so much, Jesse. Let's do a little tiny Matt roll off. What do you say? Yeah. So, what if the Space Needle, though? Mm-hmm. What if it is an Elder Sign, like the geometry oh, of it? is like the same geometry of an elder sign and it's actually mm-hmm. like resting on an ancient uh elder god's burial ground right. up in uh Seattle Center. Totally. I mean And that's the only thing that's keeping it that's the only thing that's keeping the uh <laughs> the elder god dormant. And yep. that's why whenever there's, you know, an Armageddon situation, that's why it's getting destroyed because that's like Azathoth. Wow. That's also true as why the Space Needle is one of the most earthquake-safe buildings in Seattle. Ooh, yeah. We all know that the earthquake is a tool of Cthulhu. They do not want it to... Oh, God, this is a whole story now. I mean, the Uh Pacific Northwest Native Americans were the only Native Americans that actually made totem poles, even though through popular culture it perpetuated throughout. So you could have something where they had a totem pole on the site... And then the totem pole was destroyed when the white man came in and wreaked havoc on everything. Right. And then that threw everything into chaos. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, there they, were totem poles all over the place, which were right. basically gravestones for uh, like Star Spawn and <laughs> the, the soldiers of the Elder Gods. And then the white man came in and disrupted them all, tore right. them all down. So, like those monsters started, you know, trying to resurrect their ancient, forgotten god mm-hmm. that was uh, basically banished by the Native Americans. Right. And then somehow uh, the Pentagram Corporation. Mm-hmm. Wisened up, they saw what right. was going down and decided to build the ultimate totem pole, the Space Needle. Yes, but is it strong enough? As is it strong enough to withstand the asteroid of Azathoth? <laughs> yeah, and then and then they crafted the entire 1962 World's Fair around it as a front to build it. Uh huh. Oh yes. God, this is We're awesome. Now. Here. This is awesome. I mean, the Puget Sound is home to very deep waters as well. Yeah, Chesapeake Bay ain't got shit on the Puget Sound. Yeah, we're talking about deep waters. I mean, Bremerton yeah. alone, that's why they built a shipyard there, because you can literally park a aircraft carrier <laughs> right off of the beach because it, it immediately drops down into super deep water. Not just a uh, aircraft carrier. <laughs> yes. 
multiple. multiple aircraft carriers. That's where aircraft carriers go to die. There's literally like five <laughs> aircraft carriers in Bremerton. That's true. It's a mothball oh, fleet. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, let's do a little time. I'm, I'm excited now, Jesse. <laughs> I like it. I think we can, we can do something with I this. I think it's super cool. All right. Let's get l- Guillermo del Toro on the board. Yeah. Somebody put Guillermo del Toro on the Somebody sent him our voicemail line. Um, <laughs> We're like the reverse Bill Murray. Let's do a little tidy mat roll off here. Right. We're just going to roll 20 sided dice. See who gets to talk first on this 150th show. Well, I rolled a three, so that's great. All right. I rolled a seven. All right. So technically, I win. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the uh, don't know what the modifiers were there. All right. So uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about uh, a movie. Movie? Do you know what nemesis means? We actually had a caller in call in to talk about it as well. So I want to give him a shot to put in his two cents before we put in, or at least I put in my 12 cents. So (laughs) anyway, here he is. Hey guys, it's Heath Lynch from St. Louis. I was just calling to congratulate you on your 150th episode. Uh, we're all very proud of you, and we're glad that you guys do this for us each and every week, bringing us a lot of laughs and good times. Um, kind of like Doxy was saying, uh, keep it up. Everything you guys do is fantastic, and we're all very proud of you. And we hope you can do this for at least 150 more, if not beyond that. I'm also calling to report on The Man of Steel. I'm driving home from the midnight showing a release of that right now, and I have to say I very much enjoyed it. Probably going to give it at least initially an 8 out of 10, if not higher. I'm really going to have to marinate on it. But my initial reactions are it's very good. Uh, negatives first, it's uh, very serious, which I wouldn't expect from a Superman. I would actually say that I had more laughs in The Dark Knight or even The Dark Knight Rises in comparison to this, which is odd when you consider Batman and Superman in those contrasts. Uh, but not to say that that just tracks. It's just a little off-putting. You will notice it. Uh, but there are some still some jokes and stuff. But uh, uh, very serious tone. Again, it works, though. And uh, as Christopher Nolan has said, uh, Chris and Bale Batmans are not part of this universe. In fact, this is the kickoff to a whole new DC universe, and um, anything previous to this is in a different timeline. And uh, I have to say that this is a good start, and I really hope that they can reboot Green Lantern and do it properly, start a new Batman, a Wonder Woman, a Flash, and maybe in a few years we'll actually get a good Justice League movie. But this is a great movie. I recommend it. It's very action-packed, the most action-packed Superman ever. You will definitely, for first time in it feels like forever, actually see him punch things, and he'll get punched in return. Um, and uh, it all works very well. Uh, expansion of the origin mythos with Krypton. Uh, it was all very well done. I highly recommend it. Uh, go see it. And I think that's all I got for you. Get off my back. Later. Get off my back, Heath. Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, so, Jesse, you get to choose now. You mm. get to decide. This movie has been out for a week. Uh, wh- what level, on a scale of 1 to 10, how many spoilers do you want for this movie? Uh, ten. Okay, you're okay with full spoilers. Yeah, I'm. I'm probably not gonna watch it. That's in the right. Theater at least. Yeah, that's okay. So I went and saw this uh, movie last weekend. Um, like everyone else in America, other than Jesse, 
Uh, <laughs> it made like 140 million dollars or something crazy. It set a, set a record for June, um, and it's kind of interesting because before it came out, it was really lauded by critics, and then after it came out, um, it got kind of torn apart by critics. It has a 56 percent right now on Rotten Tomatoes, which um, is rotten. It's certified rotten. If uh, at the same time, I that's really- no eight out of ten. <laughs> That's no 8 out of 10. Although I got to agree with Heath here, I'm going to give it a straight up 8 out of 10. Yeah. I really, I actually really enjoyed this movie. Um, and uh, there's a few things that really got me excited about it. So, first of all, uh, it, it's an origin story in the sense that basically throughout the entire movie, uh, you know, Superman is trying to find his own identity. That's kind of how, uh, well, actually, it's literally opens up with him being born. And then there's like 20 minutes on Krypton. Um, and Russell Crowe is a complete badass in this movie. This is like Russell Crowe literally hasn't put in a performance like this since Gladiator, in my opinion. Like nice. Russell so Crowe is, did is really it like well. a is it like a meaning of life kind of uh, graphic birth scene? Well, you do see Superman wing Ooh. multiple occasions. Baby, baby Superman wing. Do you see like uh, the crowning? No, you don't see the crowning. Oh, you see um, the, the you then see. Then I'm not interested. <laughs> All right. The thing about this, the thing that makes this interesting is that uh, apparently you find out throughout this stuff. So basically, the the planet's falling apart. Superman's mom's having him, um, and then General Zod is coming in and trying to take over the government all at the same time uh, because the reigning council has decided that or they've taken steps that have led to the destruction of the planet basically they tried, they tried to tap the planet's core for energy and that ended up <laughs> destroying the planet at the well, same time general zod who disagreed with this uh decides he wants to take over the planet and militaristically run it so did he know that like tapping it for energy would destroy the planet well that's what russell crowe knows because so general zod is bred for fighting and Kal-El, uh, it's not Kal-El, is it? Kal-El. But that's that's Superman. Oh, yeah. That's Jor-El. Superman. Jor-El, uh, just like Jordy. Uh, he, <laughs> he is the science guy. So basically, Zod is the great military guy, and and uh, Jor is the great uh, science guy. He's he's the Bill Nye of, of Krypton, <laughs> basically. Uh, but he's also a badass, and he fights people. Jor-El, the science guy. <laughs> exactly. But that's kind of the whole story of Krypton is this, is that there's no natural births in Krypton. Everybody is genetically engineered for a certain purpose. So, like, Zod was was genetically engineered uh, to become a warrior, and and Jor was genetically engineered to become a scientist. Let me stop you there. Yep. I do like the idea of living in a society where, like, you can genetically engineer, like, who, you know, the child is going to fill this role. Yep. But there's certain roles, like, is there, is there like, Steve L., who's, like, genetically engineered <laughs> to be a great plumber? Well, or it's, like- th- th- that's actually an interesting thing, because at the end of the film, um, uh, Zod is fighting Superman, uh-huh. and Zod says, I was bred from birth to be a warrior. He says, where did you learn to tr- train? A farm? So that means that there are farmers on Krypton because he knows what a farm is. Right. Basically. I mean, it even makes sense. Like, I mean, you could go to you can go to like college and get a degree in farming. Yeah. But I'm talking about like 
like I don't your janitors. Yeah, I think so. And no offense to janitors. This is coming from someone who's been a janitor in the past. <laughs> yep. But like, I mean, your society requires certain unglamorous jobs. Absolutely. Are, are those people bred from birth? I think so. I think there's got to be. I mean, I think that like the idea that there is a farmer from birth means that they are filling up societal roles for, through genetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, so this happens, uh, you know, um, uh, they send soup. They send Kalal into space to go to Earth. Uh, the um, uh, all all of the bad guys, all of Zod's guys, get caught by the government because they killed like a government officer. They get sent to the Phantom Zone. Fortunately, get sent to the Phantom Zone um, uh, while the Earth is blowing up. So once the <laughs> once while Krypton's being blown up. So once Krypton is destroyed, all of their technology that's holding them in the Phantom Zone gets destroyed as well. Oh, they so, kind of lucked out of that one. Yeah, huh? I know. Really, they did. And so <laughs> now they have a ship, and then they go around to all of these outposts that uh, Kryptonians had gone to, um, and they refurbish their ship, and then they're they're looking for Kal-El because Kal-El holds the uh, – the, uh, what is it? The, the Codex, which is a genetic uh, code for all Kryptonians mm. that – Jor-El put into Kal-El. I thought that's how you uh, knew what your the specifics of your Warhammer 40K army were. Yeah, or it was something just written by Leonardo da Vinci. Anyway. Not Hero laughed at that one. <laughs> that goof was for Not Hero. Was, yeah, speaking of uh, fans, Not Hero, fan from a, for a long time. Uh-huh. We gotta love Not Hero. Um, so anyway, uh, then Zod, uh, you know, so... Um, uh, Clark Kent. Now you you find him and he's he's in his probably like mid to late twenties. He's uh, just kind of being a nomad in Alaska. He's being a fisherman. He saves some people and blah blah blah. There's a bunch of flashbacks back to his childhood, and then he stumbles upon the ship, uh, a ship that was sent here as a scout ship from Krypton twenty thousand years ago to see if Earth was habitable. Um, and then he gets the ship. He plugs in his dad's. A uh, little key, and then his dad shows up and tells him uh, everything that's going on. Tells him that he's Superman. Wait, 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 wait. Why? <laughs> why would a ship from twenty thousand years ago have his dad's data on it? Okay, so he's basically got a little thumb drive uh-huh. that has a Superman symbol on it because it uh-huh. from in in Krypton the Superman symbol means hope, and that's like his family line. No, it means dope. Right. <laughs> so that was this 420 all the time on Krypton, dog. <laughs> so that was given to him by Jor-El. Uh-huh. Uh, it was sent with him in the spaceship. So, so in, in 20,000 years, mm-hmm. the yep. technology to play the message from his dad right. is the same? Yeah, basically. So he, he got like a USB port. It'd be like us trying to plug in a USB into... I mean, there's not even an analogy, but let's just say the yeah. pyramid. Yeah, totally. Yeah, okay. that's literally like 6,000 years ago, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> But it works. Yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah, he's basically got a little thumb drive. And he plugs it into the ship, and then that allows his father to come back, his consciousness of his father to come back and tell him what's going on. So anyway, all this stuff happens. And because he plugged in the ship that's in a message to Zod, Zod comes to Earth – and uh, Zod decides he's going to turn Earth into the new Krypton with this genetic code that's in Kal-El. And yeah, and he's got a he's got a uh, he's got a terraforming engine basically 
because um, this is one thing I really, really enjoyed was that uh, uh, you you saw Clark as a kid. Like uh, he couldn't really handle all his powers because he's seeing everything in x-rays. His hearing is really enhanced. And he like he's this has way too much information, so he can't really understand what's going on. But his parents teach him how to focus on one thing at a time and basically become a human in our atmosphere. But the other Kryptonians, when they come here, they have the same problem. They cannot understand because all of their powers are enhanced when they're on Earth. So basically, they have to turn this terraforming machine on the Earth, and then it's turning the Earth into Krypton, and then Superman has to kick ass. Uh-huh. So that's the premise. Uh, I thought it was really great. There was this no pretty cool. Yeah, there was no um, kryptonite, which I really enjoyed, and I think they should try to keep kryptonite out of this as much as possible because Kryptonians themselves are the equals of Superman on Earth. So the whole thing with Superman is people are like, well, you know, he doesn't have any real enemies. Nothing could beat him. Well, Kryptonians can beat him. Uh huh. Um, also, there's other. There's plenty uh, of villains. Yeah, there's villains. There's Doomsday. There's you know Parasite. There's plenty of villains that can beat him. And then there was also a bunch of teasers in this movie for LexCorp. So it looks like the next movie will have to include Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor is one of my favorite superhero characters. Yeah, I mean, I think Lex Luthor should be the villain in the Justice League movie. Yeah, probably. Because, yeah, it's basically like he like he could like create the Parasite, and then they could suck all the super superpowers out of the heroes. I mean. It's kind of perfect, uh, but uh, but yeah. I overall, I really enjoyed this movie. There were a lot of things, and you know, like Heath said, it's a ser- it's more serious movie. But I still found some laughs in it. Like there's this one point where Superman is handcuffed, and he's in a interrogation room with with Lois Lane, um, and they're like, "You," le-, she's like, "You let them handcuff you," and he's like, "Well, I would." I wouldn't look like I was cooperating if I resisted and blah, blah, blah. And then he, and then he can see through the little glass beer that all the other people are standing on. So he like starts talking to them. He's like, I can see you and hear you because I'm Superman. So fuck you. And then he just stands up and drops his arms to his sides. And just the act of dropping his arms to his sides totally breaks the, <laughs> the handcuffs. Uh-huh. And that was a moment that everybody laughed at. Pretty funny stuff. Of Super course. Funny. I mean, <clears throat> um, of course, it's not going to be as funny as The Dark Knight Rises. Or mm-hmm. not Rises, but the one with the Joker. Right. Because yeah, it's a Dark Joker. Knight. He's hilarious. He's hilarious. Well, also, like, Batman Begins, like, people need to go back and watch Batman Begins and then watch The Dark Knight. Because Batman Begins is kind of a jovial movie. It really is. A lot of people see it as, like, a super realistic dark thing. But really, The Dark Knight is what made that Batman universe super dark. Batman right. Begins is just a fun, rip roaring movie, and there are plenty of like comedic moments in that. I um, agree. Dark Knight was the real Empire Strikes Back kind of yeah movie. So the thing that I want to get to is the thing that made me really excited about this Superman movie is that I want to see Batman in this universe. Mm. Like they made this perfect for Superman, Batman. And they they opened the door for other superheroes to come in in the Justice League, and that's all great. And, you know, we've you've heard our pitches so far on Green Lantern, Flash, <laughs> and Aquaman. So hopefully they, they do some cool shit with that. Uh, but the thing that I really want to see is Batman in this universe because they opened it up. There's a lot of, you know, the first thing that people say with Batman is that he's just a regular guy. He can't hang with superheroes. But there are a lot of regular guys, because the U.S. military plays very largely into this movie, there are a lot of regular guys in Superman that are badass. 
and that mm. are matching Superman on at least some level. So they opened that door up. And then also, uh, so this is the biggest spoiler. So if you haven't seen the movie, why are you still listening to the segment? But uh, Good question I ask myself. <laughs> the big spoiler is at the end of the movie, Superman snaps the neck of Zod. He straight up kills him. Good. Right. Because he had to. I mean, he was in a, he was in a lose-lose situation. He was in a situation where either he has to battle Zod throughout eternity or he has to kill him. And he chooses the path to kill him. And that gives you a perfect uh, dichotomy to Superman right. or to Batman. Like all you can see, all I could see in that moment and throughout the film were different ways that Batman and Superman would rub against each other, which is exactly what you want. Um, right. Not in a like pornographic sense, but more in a uh, <laughs> more in a comic book literal sense. Uh, but yeah, I mean. It was it was really cool. Like I really want to see Batman in this universe, and I'm excited to see how they introduce Batman into this universe. And also, Henry Cavill played Superman perfectly. Like he's just a straight up Boy Scout. The way that he interacts with people, the way that he talks to people, he's always very very respectful, very polite. But at the same time, he kicks ass, and he also killed a dude. Yeah, that's that's what's interesting. Is like <clears throat> Superman's a Boy Scout, but he kills a guy. Whereas right. Uh, Batman is, you know, definitely not a Boy Scout. He's a lot more gritty and everything, but he's unwilling to kill. Exactly. So, I mean... Because Superman is sent here, like, the origin stories completely set that up. Superman is a alien god from another planet, and if he has to unleash his godly powers to protect people, then he's going to do that, no matter what the cost. Batman is established by his parents being killed so he sees the death of a person at his hands as making him as low as any criminal that he's fighting right so basically he's going to see superman as low as the person who killed his parents which is pretty it's a it's a very interesting dichotomy and that's what made me super excited about it super excited super so i really like this movie um it is a little dark. There are a ton of flashbacks, but guess what? I actually shed a tear in this movie. Um, so, <laughs> is your sinus infection back? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't the moment in the in the trailer where where everybody cried, where they were like, "You are my son." But it was another dad moment with Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner kills it in this movie. Also, Diane Lane does great as Clark Kent's mom, um, and they already announced that. Uh, that they're going to be making Superman two perhaps as earlier as early as next year, and then they're going to go into the Justice League. So wow. you might get a Justice League movie before you get origin stories like like what Marvel did. Uh, so um, that'll be a little interesting. It'll, it'll be kind of cool if they do like a mashup movie and then make their own films. But but I mean, what what what's your takeaway on this fifty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes though? I. I think that there is a – I was talking about this with one of my buddies. Um, I think that there is a direct cutoff with people who grew up with the Christopher Reeve movies mm. because this is a complete retelling of Superman. This is a reboot of Superman, um, and it's a Superman for our times. And, you know, there are the Christopher Reeve movies. There was Superman 1 and 2, which are the two that are like the hallowed ground. But they tried to make a sequel to those movies. It was Superman Returns, which came out in like 2004 or whatever, 2006. I can't remember. Um, but uh, 
that doesn't play in this world. Like you need some grit, dude. Like I've I've been watching all of this stuff on um on Injustice Gods Among Us, the fighting game, and like that's the world we live in. We want to see Superman punch a dude in the face. <laughs> so that's what he does in this movie. And it's a little frivolous. Like the end battle, like literally they they topple like nine or ten skyscrapers. Like literally ten thousand people died in collateral damage <laughs> in the last battle in this movie. At least. Yeah. Um But at the same time, like, they're setting this up. This is the most powerful guy. He has to be. Superman has to be the most powerful guy in the Justice League. So you want to be able to fear him a little bit, fear his power, but know that the only thing that is keeping him from destroying the planet is his humanity, which he has learned from his parents. But also Batman. Batman can always take down Superman. Yeah, baby. He is uh, literally the kryptonite. I would. He, ha- he has kryptonite. Yeah, I would love to see. Like, I would love to see that played up in like he like after they introduced kryptonite for some reason, like through LexCorp or whatever. Um, that Superman has like a cache of it in the Batcave, just in case. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's always kind of been the canon is that Superman gave Batman uh, kryptonite to take him down in case Superman ever got out of control. Right. Created Batman as kind of a, uh, a uh, checks and balance, as it were. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, really, uh, Batman is the judicial branch. He's justice. Uh huh. Whereas Superman Superman's is like executive. executive. Yeah. Yeah. Who's and legislative? Then, the Justice League. Yeah. The rest general? of the Justice League is legislative. Uh, well, we've got this hammered out. There you go. So Superman, I say go see it. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, but if you haven't and you just listen to all these spoilers, you're still gonna have a good time. And I actually watched this movie in 2D, and I would recommend watching it in 3D because anytime I watch a movie that has space now, I want to see it in 3D. And there's really? a lot of outer space shit. Plus, they tease things. They teased Wayne Enterprises on a satellite. They teased, they teased LexCorp. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of stuff that they're ready to blow this thing wide open and make the Justice League universe. And I say, bring it on, guys. So we're going to get Justice League. We're going to get the second phase of the Marvel Universe, and we're going to get Star Wars all in the next three years. Yeah. Well, Eric, uh, speaking of Star Wars, I want to jump into my second topic. Do it, baby. movies. All right. Do you know what nemesis means? Second topic, I mean first topic. So uh, there's a little leaky-loo. Uh-huh. There's a little Lucy Lawless leaky-loo about uh, some of the casting, uh, I guess the casting calls for potential characters for Star Wars 7. Uh-huh. I'm sure you've seen this. You, actually, I haven't. What? Enlighten me, Jesse. You're, you're so, ahead of me on movie news. What is going on with this world? I don't know. What's up with this topsy-turvy world? I don't know if I want to be part of it anymore. <laughs> But basically, there's a leak of, uh, I w- like, several one-sentence rundowns mm-hmm. on general characters uh, that they're looking to cast. Okay. So uh, I thought we could go through the list and maybe hypothesize on who the character would be. Yep. And um, maybe, you know, what the plot of the movie is going to be. So the first one is, Eric, a young man aged between 20 and 25, uh-huh. witty and smart, Fit, but not ca- classically handsome. Oh, 
So that's got to be Luke Skywalker's son. Well, here's the thing. I mean, can Luke Luke's a Jedi? He can't he can't bone. Why not? Because his dad boned once, and then he became the biggest Sith that ever was. That wasn't because of the boning, though. It was totally because of the no, boning. That's Darth Sidious, dude. That was all episode two. It was like, Anakin is horny, and he turns evil. And Darth Sidious uses his love that he's displayed on a person to... He exploits that to bring out the dark side in this guy who has the highest midichlorian count of all time. Okay, well, maybe, maybe Luke does like a new world order... <laughs> Uh, new Jedi Order, where like everyone can bone everyone. Who knows? I mean, he—that's true. His only love interest in the movies was his sister. Yeah, I know. I mean, also, like, how fucking in tune with the Force can you be if you're kissing your sister and you don't even know it? What's well, even the point of being a Jedi and understanding the Force at all if it's not going to prevent you from kissing your own twin sister? I love how he's like, dude. The the Force is like kissing your sister. <laughs> Uh, oh god! So okay, the next one. Man, wait, wait, who, late- wait. Who do you think this guy is then? Because uh, the thing is, like, you got to think that Lou, that Leia and Han's kids are gonna at least be good looking, witty and smart, but not classically handsome. I feel like this is a this is a comic relief character. Okay, maybe some sort of engineer. Maybe even stuff that guy in a C three PO outfit. <laughs> not cl- not handsome enough to actually fill his face. <laughs> I think that for C three PO though, you got to find the skinniest guy possible. <laughs> like you're not looking for somebody Good who's point. fit. Age not necessary. Right, super skinny. Only des- only necessity. <laughs> Good in high heat situations. Right. <laughs> Preferably British. <laughs> yeah. oh, British good. sensibilities. Okay, so the next one, man in late 20s, also fit, but this one is handsome and confident. Right. I mean, this is Han Solo Jr. Right. HSJ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, mystery solved on that one. So here's where, in my opinion, it gets a little weird. Okay. Uh, late teenage girl, uh-huh. independent, good sense of humor, also dot, 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 physically fit. Okay. So independent, uh, funny girl. I mean, mm-hmm. wh- late teenage. Right. So I don't know. I think that it, like this Maybe is this kind of been younger sister of the the Han Solo Junior. Well, the thing about Star Wars universe is that they bring out a certain amount of I'll call it sexism. Uh, it's not totally sexism, but they. The female role is a little underwritten. The female role is a little underwritten, and the only female roles other than Leia really are aliens. So I'm thinking, and there was also, I, I don't know what her name is, but in the Clone Wars movies, there is like a younger Jedi who is an alien who is a female. Uh-huh. So this could be along those lines. I'm very, very possible. Yeah. A little Twilight. Okay. Yep. So second young female, mm-hmm. also late teens. Tough, smart, and physically fit. Well, there you go. So I'm pretty sure go. that in Hollywood they just put physically fit on every <laughs> casting call. Not classically <laughs> handsome, but physically fit. Right. Uh, so here's where it takes a turn for the creepy. Mm-hmm. Man in his 40s, obviously physically fit. Mm-hmm. This one is military type. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's total... That's total The Rock. Maybe even a little uh, Stone Cold. 
<laughs> I don't think I think Stone Cold's acting career is over at this point. Um, I don't think he's uh, late forties. I think he's more fifties at this point. He Stone Cold is like starring in like three movies coming out this year. By the way, okay. Also, Redneck Island. Did they make three Expendable movies this year? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, quick aside, uh-huh. uh, Stone Cold has been on a couple episodes of the Adam Carolla podcast. Yep. Surprisingly hilarious. Yeah, I think that he's a guy who's very self-aware. Yeah, yeah. Totally is self-aware, self-aware a bad thing? I, I mean in a good way. Like, he yeah. knows exactly his shtick, and yeah. he sticks to it. But, no, he doesn't stick to it, though. He's, like, surprisingly, like, he can play out a type and make you laugh. Yeah, but that's what he does. Like, he knows what his shtick is, so he knows how to stray from that shtick and be hilarious. Yeah, he's not afraid because to... Because of his shtick. Okay, uh, so a man <laughs> of around 30 or so, this one is an intellectual type. Uh-huh. So, what do we think about this? Is this a Jedi? Yeah, an it's intellectual? totally, totally intellectual. He's like the the new Obi-Wan. Yeah, I mean... You gotta have the wizard, dude. You this need has the wizard. To be like, these are going to have to be like literally 30 years after the events of. Yeah, it makes sense. Six. Yeah, it makes sense. I I think that, uh, I mean, it's interesting to me. It'll be really interesting to see how, like Mark Hamill hasn't done anything but Joker in the last 20 years. So, yeah, something tells me he's fine. I think he's, he's doing the roles he wants to do. I think he's totally fine. I mean, he's more of a voice actor at this point, but also like bringing him into a film environment, you're not going to give him a super big role. But at the same time, this is J.J. Abrams. Like, look what he did with Leonard Nimoy in the first Star Trek movie. Uh-huh. Like, he made, made Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, he made him. It wasn't a cameo. It was a straight up main plot point in the whole movie. Yeah, that's true. So I, I'm interested to see what they do with Mark Hamill. Yeah, um, they basically gave him like six, uh, six Leonard Nimoy's. Exactly. Yeah, uh, great name for a band. By the <laughs> and way. I really hope Lando Calrissian comes back. I'm just oh, saying. Oh, Billy D. Billy D. Baby, Billy D. Will. I hope he spins it into another Cult Forty Five sponsorship. Is what I hope for. <laughs> See, what I really, I you know, they're talking about doing all these prequel movies, and of course, they're talking about doing a Boba Fett prequel. I think it should be like Boba Fett. Han and Billy D. Williams already cast in a movie. I think that's a great idea. That so uh, awesome. the last one here, though, and this is the most interesting one. Finally, a guy aged around seventy, strong opinions and tough. Okay. So that's an original character, right? Right. I mean, he's got to be somebody who is around in strong the... opinions and tough. So, I mean, you, you're assuming Mark Hamill's in it. You're assuming Harrison Ford's in it. You're assuming that Carrie Fisher's in it. Uh-huh. Um, this could be this could be our Lando. Oh, man. I hope they don't recast Lando. But, I mean, he'd be good. Well, I mean, who's dead from the original series? Nobody. I mean, even Emperor Palpatine. Like <laughs> Al Guinness is still alive. Is he? Yeah, totally. He does well, a lot of stuff. character is dead, so... Wait, Alec Guinness was the was the. Uh, oh, you're sorry. I'm sorry. I was thinking. I'm sorry. I was thinking of C3PO. Alec Guinness is dead. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Alec, yeah, maybe somebody's playing Obi Wan. Oh, Obi Wan died. Obi Wan's dead. But Obi Wan's so. ghost is still hanging around. Maybe they maybe, need somebody to play Obi Wan's ghost. Maybe it could. Yeah, you need Obi Wan's ghost. That's true. Right? Um, you need uh, Wedge and Captain Wedge Antilles. Did Did he survive? 
I'm pretty sure he made it like through the Battle of Desar too. Oh yeah, that's true. I think he came out the other end. Yeah, I was thinking Porkins. Um, oh, he definitely died. I mean, you could have like. I mean, they no, named him Porkins for God's sake. The one fat guy in the movie. <laughs> You know, that's ridiculous. Uh, who else? Yeah, I, I can't really think of any other humans that would still be around. Could be Admiral Akbar, though. I love Akbar. I love me some Akbar, dude. Akbar <laughs> better be in this shit. I will <laughs> flip my cephalopod loving asshole if goddamn Akbar is in this motherfucker. I would love if, like, uh, there's. Maybe they're going to do, like, the scene where Leia's having kids, right? Having Han's kids. Uh-huh. And uh, he's the doctor. He's got, like, the thing on his head. He's got the uh, the thing in front of his mouth, you know. He's delivering the baby. And the baby comes out and he goes, It's a boy! <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> Yeah, that's a little. T- I think I think it's probably got to be in like an old Obi Wan. Like Obi-Wan. basically, you're doing like your. Uh, Do you age after you die? I, that's oh cool. yeah, that's, no, but like Obi Wan was probably like late sixties, early seventies. Uh huh. Like who? Uh, who's that so dude? You age in- slowly after you die. Right. I mean, basically, they're trying to cast you know Gandalf in this role. Uh huh. James Gandolfini. Oh God! Too oh, soon. Shit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, dude. That well, that's interesting. I mean, it looks like they're just ba- basically making Star Trek again. I just, yeah, that's true. They are people uh, late twenties who are weird physically that, fit. Like all the dudes are twenty, twenty five, and all the girls are late teenage. That's super creepo to me. There's one. You had one girl on there. Two, two teen girls. Oh. Well, that's a that's the thing about Hollywood too. Like Kristen Stewart was like twenty five when she played. The, the Twilight chick the, for the last time. So, like, teen is relative. I mean, you have you have Jennifer uh, Jennifer Lawrence who played, like, a 28-year-old Silver Linings playbook and plays a 16-year-old in Hunger Games. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's just straight up Hollywood, dude. I just don't like the idea that they're supposed to be young. Yeah, well, th- that's the other thing is, like, I want to see a World War One or a World War Two movie where everybody in the movie is, is 16, 16 to 18 because yeah, they will seriously. all look crazy young. And that is exactly, exactly as the war actually happened. Yeah, especially when you get into, like, 1945 on, like, fucking Iwo Jima. All yeah. those Marines are, like, 17-year-old Kids. Draftees. Kids, dude. Babies. And, like, people, you know, I watched the Ken Burns documentary like, people were volunteering for yeah, the Navy and shit when they were 16 years old. They were trying to get into that shit when they were, like, 15, 14, dude. Yeah. So, it would and be... that's why all our granddads are way fucking tougher than us. Yeah. They're fucking crazy. <gasps> oh, God. I feel like I didn't become a man till last year. <laughs> I'm still waiting on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, dude, Star Wars, man. I'm stoked. I'm stoked too. JJ I mean, JJ Abrams. Abrams did such a good job with Star yep. Trek. That's all I want. Rip Those... Roaring Action Adventure that, you know, is true to the original spirit. Yeah. Of... He, kn- he knows what he's doing, dude. Yeah, I know. Knows what he's doing. All I right. Like George Lucas, who. George Lucas, Xbox One of directors. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious, dude. That is really. That, that paints the picture rather nicely. <laughs> Um. All right, let's get into it. Let's do our uh, trivia break. Let's. All right. 
I'm going to roll a six-sided die. We are going all the way back to Genus 1 in Trivial Pursuit for Ep 150. I'm going to roll a six-sided die, see which category we're going to do this week. Oh, baby. It's a three. That's one of my faves. History. Right on. Classic. All right, Jesse, this question's for you. Just want to remind everybody, Jesse does have a bachelor's degree oh, in God. history. Don't, don't say that. So, uh, so let's let's see how this let's see how this that rolls. That was a long time ago in a different <laughs> life. <laughs> All right, Jesse, what blew up at Lakehurst, New Jersey, on May 6, nineteen thirty-seven? Nineteen thirty-seven in New Jersey, something blew up. Um. I'm going to say an oil refinery. I'm going to say the Hindenburg. And it's the Hindenburg. Well, you know, in a way that was an oil refinery. <laughs> it, was, it was more of a hydrogen refinery. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, cl- the, basically the end of airship travel, uh, 1937. Hey, I got a great idea, guys. Let's fill this thin canvas with a highly volatile gas and fly around on a tiny compartment underneath it. Yeah, let's put a bunch of people in it. Yeah, let's put a bunch of people. Oh, the humanity! Well, apparently the Hindenburg had like multiple, multiple, uh, you know, successful crossings between Europe and the United States. I'm sure it did. Uh, It only takes one. All right, Jesse, this question is for me, and I don't know the answer to it, so this is your chance to steal. Who crowned Napoleon Emperor of France? I'm going to say Louis XVIII. (laughs) Yeah, he was totally stoked about it. Yep. It was one of the popes. I don't know which one. Actually, the answer is Napoleon himself. Oh, well, trick, that's question. A trick question. Totally trick question. The Pope gave him the crown, and then Napoleon took the crown from his hands and put it on his own head. Wow, that is that's true. Totally but, trick question, though. Yeah, I should have known it. All right, Jesse, this question is for you. What country claimed the first U.S. warship sunk in World War II? What country sank the first U.S. warship in World War II? Great question. Mm-hmm. Um, which one claimed it? Jeez. I don't know. I'll say Japan. I mean, that's a safe answer because you got Pearl Harbor, right? Uh, I'm going to say I'll just go with Germany. Oh, Germany. I got it. Yeah, there you go. All right, Jesse. This question is futile, but it is for me. What American feminist... Went bust as a silver dollar. That would be Susan B. Anthony, I believe. Yeah. And I got that one as well. All right. Well, I, I win everything this week. Apparently. That's okay. Uh, you you know, you basically studied Russian history in World War II. So, right? I actually never <laughs> studied Russian history. You just like it? I wanted to study Russian history, but I took Russian language. Mm-hmm. And in uh, Western Washington University's Infinite Wisdom uh, <laughs> Russian history class was scheduled the exact same hour as Russian language. Perfect. That so, makes sense. Uh, I got boned <laughs> on that one. You got to split up those two groups. Honestly, the majority of stuff I know about history I learned outside of college. Well, there you go. And apparently it's not that much, <laughs> as is evidence. Oh, come on. <laughs> 
<laughs> as evidenced by 1981's Trivial Pursuit. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, my uh, second topic this week also has a call-in tie-in. So this is a first-time caller from uh, my favorite country uh, outside of the U.S. if the NSA is listening. And that is Canada. Here we go. Here we go. Hello, gentlemen. This is uh, Kevin, first-time caller from Ontario, Canada. And I just want to start off by saying you guys rock, and I love the cast. On my call, I know last week you guys were talking about the new systems and their uh, policies, and I know that you were turned off by the Xbox One. Given today's news, if you haven't heard uh, about Microsoft doing a uh, 180, on their policies now you'll be able to pay offline whenever with no mandatory checks and you will also be able to use use games has this changed your opinion on the xbox one i know personally it has for me i was leaning towards the ps4 but this has changed my mind considerably i know that it is still a hundred dollars more but the way i see it i'm getting a connect with it and i'm only getting a ps4 the other way I just wanted to see what you guys thought about that. Thanks a lot. Stay off my back. And have a good one. <laughs> Stay off my back, Kevin. Thank you, Canadian callers. I love Canada so much. I love Canada because they can't end it on a negative note like get off my back. Never. They have to say, get off my back and have a good one. Hope you had a good day. And- Eat some poutine. I love you. <laughs> I love it. This is actually like our number one question this week is if Eric has changed his opinion on the Xbox One. Uh, and it is interesting that yeah. uh, Xbox is such a about face. It is. I mean, they like we talked about it in last week's show. We were very surprised that they didn't do something between their announcement in E3 to actually make people like their console. <laughs> The answer, though, for me is still no. Good for you. Is that the Xbox One is still no for me? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, t- you know, Kevin. If you want to connect, that's your deal. And I uh, am, t- I, I'm doing a flip flop myself. I'm doing an Xbox esque flip flop, saying that I don't want to connect because when it came out, I wanted it. You did. Um, but I don't want to pay an extra hundred bucks, dude. And like straight up, the price point is the first thing I look at in merchandise. I look if I want something, I look at it and I say, "This is my price range, and this is what I want to pay." And the PS3 is coming out a hundred dollars cheaper than the Xbox, uh, and I don't think you're getting a hundred dollars more value in the Xbox One. I and don't think so either. In fact, I think you're probably getting a better value still in the PS4 than you are in the Xbox. And that's just my personal opinion. Um, and I'm sorry to Microsoft, but you blew it. I agree completely. I don't want to connect. I don't, I don't understand connect. the point of a Connect. No. I don't want any of its functionality. I don't want any of my games to be geared towards motion activated stuff. Yep. I don't think it's going to enhance any of my gameplay. Yep. I don't think there's no way that waving my hands or talking to it is going to make my gameplay experience more fun. <laughs> like only like I talk to the screen plenty when I'm playing a game. <laughs> I don't want it to talk back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, I don't want it. I don't want a camera constantly recording me, especially. I mean, maybe it's paranoid. Right. And I know. I mean, it, it's stupid. Like the government doesn't want to watch me. 
but I also don't want to extend the invitation. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to pay for it to put a camera in your living room. It's extremely Orwellian. I mean, yeah. it's literally one of the main plot points from 1984 is that there's a giant camera in your room that you can't turn off and you have to like sneak into a corner to try and write something on paper and like save your razors because they're a luxury item <laughs> that's I, I talked about this when the connect did come out is that the interesting thing about it is like if people were like oh we're gonna put a camera in your living room that watches you while you watch tv yeah. you'd, you'd be like no, no way. way but then but if, if they're like, like yeah if we're gonna we're yeah. gonna it's, <laughs> we're gonna charge you a hundred dollars for this cool camera right <laughs> Well, yeah. Let's do it. I want that. That's <laughs> Also, um, I mean, spoiler alert, I maybe do a lot of uh, putting my hands down my pants. I don't need to know. In my living room. I don't need to know. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying I don't need a camera in recording the living that. room, really? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you never know these days. You put your connect on a Roomba as a joke and uh, forget about it. Right. It's following you around the house. Right. Then it's all downhill from there. The government, it's, the NSA is busting down your door. Uh-huh. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to go blind if you do that. Jack you, have an, thugs. you have an unusual technique. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway. Backhanded, huh? Interesting. All right. You're going to Guantanamo. <laughs> Um, but the thing about this is that, you know, I, I read an opinion on Polygon and, you know, Polygon is my favorite gaming news website. Those guys have their, their fingers on the pulse of gaming and they're all saying that, you know, this is what it is right now, but eventually both Microsoft and Sony are going to revoke these policies and make things more, uh, specifically more download oriented. And I think that's where Microsoft was going with their DRM thing yeah. is that we want you to download games and, and. That's where I, it's going. I have a hard time believing they're not just saying this to get you to buy their goddamn hardware. Exactly. I mean, and that's the thing, too, is that I buy used games occasionally um, off of Amazon. Uh, but most of the time, like I said, like I've talked about on this podcast before, is I I wait until the games go on sale on Amazon, and then I buy them for 20 bucks, like I did with Arkham City. Right. Like... That's kind of what I do from a gaming perspective. So that also means I'm not going to buy a first-gen console because it's not it's not worth it. And right. I can get all the functionality that I need to watch Netflix and Amazon Prime through my Roku box. So, um, but Jesse, this whole thing has kind of kind of made me want to put my money where my mouth is. And instead of just criticizing or praising a console, I want to know Jesse. And I think you and I should do this right now. We should build. The arrogant console. Yeah. The arrogant 720, if you will. Ooh. What do you want in your custom game console? Um, I want to be able to buy games off Steam, number one. Mm-hmm. I want, I want yep. to be a Steam-oriented console. Okay. I don't even need, like, I don't, I, I don't need a disk drive. Right. Are are you comfortable paying sixty dollars for a AAA title at launch if it's only a download? If it's something I really want, sure. Okay, because that, that's where I kind of I'm I'm a, I'm still a little weary of that. I don't know if that's me showing my age or what, but I when I when I spend sixty dollars on a disc, I want the actual physical disc. Oh, I don't care about that. All I right. mean my my discs are gonna rot. 
I mean, <laughs> what are you? Where are you storing your discs? <laughs> in a very corrosive environment, you know, fungal manure. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't mind about that. I don't care about having the actual disc. In fact, like, I've had discs. Like my uh, my copy of Halo Four, my Xbox got knocked over when it was spinning, and yeah. it was engraved essentially and unusable. Yeah, that's a bummer, dude. So, I mean, I'm a destroyer of electronics. <laughs> it, that's just a fact. So, having it as a digital thing that I can access and re-download is actually kind of a security measure. See, this is where I think we could solve the DRM issue. Yeah. Is that you buy a game, it comes yeah. with a download code in the with the game. Download ca- code can be activated once. You pu- you you do the download code and it's paid for. And that's downloaded to your console. You can then choose to resell the game, but the next person who gets the game cannot download it. And that's that. And that's it. I, I don't know if that solves anything. But yeah, that's confusing to me. Well, basically, you the per, if, you, if you buy the game, you could download it to your system, you could download it to your hard drive, and then you could sell the disc. But the next person who gets that cannot do that same thing. They can only play the actual physical disc. But then, like, you could buy it, download it, and then give it to someone else. Right. And they can still play it. Yep. But you can so, do that right now. You can do that today. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. The whole thing with DRM is ridiculous to me because there's no way that reselling games is hurting the game business. No, it's uh, it's probably better for it. It's a non factor. I mean, it's good to get people playing games. That's how I feel about like the movie, like the movie pirating business is the same deal, dude. Like I can understand in situations like HBO because you're literally not paying the extremely expensive premium cost to get HBO. Like I would love to get HBO, but I'm not going to buy a whole cable package for like seventy bucks a month in order to get another twenty dollars on top of that to buy HBO. Like, that's that's ridiculous. But, uh, so that might be hurting HBO in that regard, and that's why they don't want to go to a um, pay-to-watch method like AMC has done. Because, like, I can watch Mad Men. I can watch every new episode of Mad Men the next day after it comes out through Amazon Prime. It's great. I don't have AMC because I don't have cable, but I can keep them on on Mad Men. Um, but, uh, But the whole thing is, like, in the movie world, there's no way that pirating movies is hurting movies, dude. Like, Superman just made 120-whatever-million dollars in one weekend. Yeah. Like, give me a break on that. And, and, that's how, and that's how I feel about video games, too, is that there's no way that video games are really hurting that much off of resells. No. Because no, guess what? Because- Somebody still has to buy the game in order to resale it. And, and the, the, the people who are going to buy it used probably weren't going to buy it new. Exactly. I'm not going to buy a new game. Like, I'm <laughs> going to wait until the price drops. That's just the, that's who I am. It doesn't matter if you make it DRM or DRM-free. I'm still going to wait until I can actually buy a copy of the game at a lower price. Because well, I I'm like a, a really gamer. capitalistic environment. Call me anti-American, but mm-hmm. I love capitalism. <laughs> And, I mean, even Steam is, I mean, not that great because they can set the prices to whatever they want. But I want right. the marketplace to dictate what the value should be. Sure, I mean, you're, you're a video game publisher. Sell it for whatever you want. Yeah. But then let the aftermarket behave however it wants to act because that's how, 
that's how capitalism is supposed to work. There's supply yeah. and demand, and if you yeah. make a great game, then the value is going to stay high. If you make a shitty game, people are going to sell it, and uh, you know demand will be low, so it'll sell for five dollars. I think that it's a great idea to keep that up. It's just like anything, though. Like you know, if you're buying a used game, you're not getting the premium product. Like you're getting a product that's been manhandled, and for some reason, <laughs> at least for me. I don't like a product that's been manhandled. My favorite thing about buying a new game is like tear is like tearing open that Xbox label on the side right. and then opening up and smelling all the plastic and, and shit that's inside of it. Well, that's weird that that's your favorite thing. It smells new, man. I mean, if I was a video game, <laughs> if I was a video game developer and uh, I knew that my product was being sold used for $60, I'd be stoked about it. I mean, yeah. look at, like, Final Fantasy three for, like, Super Nintendo. was Like, those cartridges yeah. were going for hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Like, that's how you know you have a good product. Like, yeah. me as a brewer, if I knew that someone drank one of my beers and then pissed and then was able to sell it for oh. twice as much, <laughs> I would be pretty stoked on that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that's like, uh, uh, what was that game? Uh, Earthbound. Uh, like, that game... Is an RPG uh, that came out, I believe, on Super Nintendo. Yeah. yeah, and that game, if you want to buy it today, it's like 150 bucks. Yeah, exactly. And like yeah. that is, I mean, maybe it doesn't reward the uh, producer, but I'm sure that they did fine. Yeah, and then they and, put NES in Super Smash Brothers because of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's just it. Just shows that you did a good job. Right. The marketplace should reflect quality and like artificially manipulating the marketplace so that everything is sold for the same amount and you can only use it once and we're going to negate the demand after the sale is I don't know. It's like communism. Well, it's you you want to be able to stand on the merits of your product. And if you're getting people excited about your product, then there's plenty of games that have done this. Assassin's Creed 1 was not a good game, dude. That was a super repetitive game. But they've been able to turn that into a major franchise because of the buzz around that first game. Right. Uh, same thing with Dead Space. Like, Dead Space, uh, you know, it was a great game when it came out, but, you know, they've been able to build off of Dead Space. Dead Space 1 did not sell that well. Dead Space 2 sold great. Dead Space 3 sold even better. So yeah. you want to be able to build on this momentum, and guess what? If your product has kind of gone stale, then it's time to move on to somebody to something else. Bungie, like <laughs> they figured out that yes, we made five Halo games now. Uh, this product is going to go stale. It's time to us. It's time for us to establish a new property, and they made Destiny. Also, like if you're Earthbound, yeah, you're the guys that made Earthbound. Sure, right. like people are selling old Earthbound cartridges for $130, go ahead and print 50,000 more new ones and sell those <laughs> for $60 and undercut the used market yep. and uh, make a bunch of bunch more money. That's exactly what Wizards of the Coast just did with their Modern Masters. Exactly. They basically took all of the most expensive cards and reprinted them and sold them for not $350 a pack, but MSRP $7 a pack. Most game stars are selling them for $12 a pack, a booster yeah. pack. Like, yeah, they're exactly. making their moolah from so, just reprinting their most popular cards. Be rewarded for putting out a good product. Yep. But uh, don't try and harangue the uh, marketplace to reward yeah. you for putting out a crappy product, which is what it feels like. Xbox and, uh, I don't know, maybe PlayStation will in the future do the same thing. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. At least we got the Wii. 
Wii U, baby. So that's that's two things that I wanted in the Arrogant 720. I want a screen in my controller uh, so that I can play Madden and I can pick my plays. I know. That's very important to you. It is very important to me because I'm one of the few people who loves local multiplayer, I guess, in the world. Well, if you just got uh, – if we got to connect, yep. right, and you teach it like uh, Orcish. <laughs> right. And I teach it Elvin. Right. And I can call all my plays in Elvin, <laughs> and you can call all your plays in Orcish. That would work. Is this Blood Bowl? No, it's uh, Lord of the Rings Bowl. <laughs> so Bowl. Right. Yeah, I, but I, I want I want a screen in my controller. I like what Wii has done with the Wii U in that. But um, and I like the direction they're going too because they're kind of the silent stalker. They're just going to stick around. And their their commitment this year because they released the Wii U last year and they didn't get a lot of AAA support. Um, so this year they're like, well, we're just going to put out a slethera, a slethera, a plethora mm-hmm. of it's a uh, Slytherin plethora exactly of. Of Nintendo games, they're going to put out a Zelda. They're going to put out a Mario. They're going to put out a new Smash Brothers. They're going to just they're they're putting out a bunch of new yeah. Nintendo games to try to resurrect this console because I think there's some really cool things that could be done with it. <laughs> yeah, we can't get AAA titles. Oh, I'm sorry, I am a AAA title. Right, exactly. And then oh, and next year oh, I guess they can probably do you know Metroid or. Or Earthbound 2. <laughs> yeah. I still really want to play Skyward Sword. Haven't played that. Yeah. Uh, so I want a screen in my controller. The other thing that I want, I'm not a big fan of motion controllers. Um, no, not at all. But at the same time, Wii Sports was pretty, is, is a pretty cool game, dude. Uh, it, it was a holds gimmick. Up. It holds up. Um, I did just sell my Wii, though, so maybe not. <laughs> uh, but I, what I want is I want a gun controller because the number one controller that I've always loved is that orange gun from the original NES for Duck Hunt. Right. Well, I mean, that, that one's great, but the gray gun. Yeah. That was the best. For Super Nintendo? No, no, no. For NES. Oh, it was? There was a, originally a gray gun before uh-huh. they were like, uh, guys, that looks a little too much like a real gun. <laughs> I need you to turn that orange. Yeah. Uh, for the Super Nintendo, they had, like, the bazooka, and that didn't yeah, really go anywhere. Yeah, that one anywhere. was not good. Yeah, just give me, like, a, an orange gun, dude. Like, if they reissued the orange gun for the Wii U <laughs> with the mo- motion control in it, like, that would explode, dude. People would bl- lose their minds. Literally, it would explode in your hand. There'd be lawsuits. Yep, they'd be cool. All right, Jesse, what's your second topic? Well, um, I want to go to a piece of listener feedback. This right? comes with the... Uh, preemptive facebook roundup but exactly. it deserves its own segment i think it does so if you could own slash control any animal that existed what would it be and why mm-hmm. um uh, i forgot to write down who this comes from james patterson okay james patterson james patterson would go with the uh pterodactyl right for a protection and transportation <laughs> i would name him not, quote, Terry, because that would be lame and predictable. I would name him Scrappy, quote. Also, direwolves would be awesome because direwolves. Happy 150. Thank you, James Patterson. And if you're not going to name him Terry, you should name him Terrence. Eh. I would name him uh, Darkwing Duck Dial. <laughs> I would name him Paterrence. <laughs> 
Carrie. That would be good. So you can you can All own right. control. Own slash control that existed. Yeah. What do you pick, Eric? Well, I so James is hard to compete with here because you get an animal, and like pterodactyl is what it is. I, I'm not. I don't get super excited about a pterodactyl, but I do get excited about the idea of riding a pterodactyl. Right. The thing about a pterodactyl, yeah. I feel like you'd be like. Uh, Scrappy, pick me up, and then like your head would be popped off in an instant. <laughs> <laughs> too much strength. It's a little, little too much, oh, maybe. No. And then you gotta feed it. You know, right? I right. guess maybe you could send it to forage, but your neighborhood wouldn't be happy that it ate every single dog. <laughs> God. <laughs> and I then mean... it, like shits on your neighbor's car, and you're like, I don't know. It's like. So then it destroyed the bumper. It destroyed my car was total. Right. By the poo. Yeah, I mean that could be anyone's pterodactyl. You're the only one that can own slash controls a pterodactyl. I didn't sure it was scrappy. I didn't control its poop. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, so this is interesting because there's there's a few things here. So first of all, it's of all time here. Right. So Any one that existed. My, I, I feel like let let me guess. Right, giant sloth. Okay, so first of all, if I could own any animal, it would be a sloth. It'd be a three-toed sloth. I would be named Air Jordan. <laughs> I would have a basketball hoop hanging in my apartment. It would be wearing a tiny Michael Jordan jersey, and it would be hanging out on the basketball hoop all the time. The only thing that would make this better is if it was a custom Sonics jersey with Jordan on the back. Oh, I like that actually. That's way better. <laughs> But it's got to be like a '90s Sonics jersey, so it's like maroon and green with the Space Needle on it, the the you know Cthulhu uh, blocking Space Needle on it. Right, right, right. Um, so that would be you know if I could own any animal today, that would be it. Now, of course, that lends itself to the giant sloth because the giant sloth is the majestic beast of the uh, Ice Age, right? And an amazing creature. Like if I saw a giant sloth, I would instantly burst into tears uh, because of its majesty. So I would love that, and I would love to ride around on a giant sloth's back. It would give me piggyback rides everywhere. Like, that's completely feasible. Although the <laughs> piggyback rides would not be that quickly. Quick. Terribly slow. Terribly slow <laughs> piggyback rides. Uh, but I could just take a nap. I would love to be, like, in a baby Bjorn on a giant sloth. <laughs> and that just, would be cozy. Yeah, super cozy, dude. Only slightly less weird than uh, <laughs> bleeding all over the bus. Right, only slightly less. Um, but guess what? I'm not going to pick the sloth, even though it is my favorite animal and my favorite of the deadly sins. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pick the humpback whale, dude. Ooh, yeah. Because if I could control a humpback whale and I can ride it and we can skim the surface... I feel like we could have a lot of fun, and we could go a lot of places. I'm going to need a wetsuit, but basically I'm Aquaman, and the humpback whale is the most majestic creature of them all. In fact, when I did see a humpback whale in Kauai, I did actually start crying because of its majesty. Huh. Because it was amazing to be in the presence of a humpback whale. And I've been in the presence of orcas. I've been in the presence of killer whales. But the humpback whale trumps them all, I'm, I'm sorry to say. I don't mean to slight the, the orca at all. But the humpback whale is an amazing creature. So I'm going to pick the humpback whale because I would love to take uh, humpback whale rides. Interesting. So you've, cr you've cried twice on this podcast. I've cried. Yeah, I've admitted to crying two times so far. Interesting. Yeah. What is your animal, Jesse? <laughs> well, I think it's obvious, the bull moose. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, that's You got a badass. lot of versatility yep. with the bull moose. Yep. It's massive. It is majestic. It's mm-hmm. lethal. Mm-hmm. And it's also rideable. And I don't think it's going to accidentally kill me. I no. mean, don't you get You control me wrong. it. So... A moose will totally kill a dude. Right. But if I have some control over it, I don't think I could be like, get over here. And it's like, okay. And now I'm dead. No. You know? I, I think that that's inherent because uh, James Patterson put on here that he – uh, that he's riding a pterodactyl. So I think that the inherent thing is, is that the animal will not kill you. Right. But I'm just saying, like, I, I think a little moose love. Right. I'm, I don't mean that in, like, a sexual way, but if it's, mm-hmm. it just gets a little too, you know, close and cuddly, it's wow. not going to kill me, whereas a pterodactyl might kill you. If, especially That's if you're it. like, pterodactyl, come pick me up. <laughs> yeah, it pops your head off. What do you name your, uh, what do you name your humpback? Well, I mean, Humpy is the is the 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 basic one that you would name it. It's got barnacles. You could call it Barney. Oh, I like Barney. I think that's fun, and I like to re. I like to take that back from the purple dinosaur, honestly, uh-huh. because Barney Rubble was the first Barney, and Barney yeah, Rubble. And is, I think Barney from the Simpsons. Well, but Barney Rubble predates Barney from the Simpsons. Well, I know that, Eric. But Barney Rubble is a badass. He's probably the most badass guy in the Simpsons, other than Dino. And then you have, uh, you have Barney from the, of course, from The Simpsons, who's not quite as badass as Barney Rubble. But then you have Barney the Dinosaur, and it just ruined it for everybody. I remember right. watching Barney the Dinosaur when I was six years old, target demographic for that show, and I thought it was bullshit because I wanted some lamb chops playing along, and they're trying to shove this Barney shit down my throat, and I it fucking hated Xbox it. It was the Xbox One of its day. It was. It was the, Barney was the Xbox One of public television. Uh-huh. For children, for babies. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yes, I'm reclaiming Barney, and I'm naming my humpback well Barney. What are you? What are you renaming your bull? What are you naming your bull moose? Theodore. That's legit. It's got to be right. Yeah. I'm gonna call him Teddy for short. Well, maybe. All right, Jesse. Uh, we got to move on to some recommendations and some Facebook roundup. But before we do, we want to let you know how you can get in touch with us. Please, guys, you know what our voicemail line is, obviously. But please keep giving us calls and leaving us voicemails at 360-362-0024. Nothing makes me happier than hearing your voice uh, when I'm riding the bus uh, bleeding out of my nose and also (laughs) putting it here on the podcast. Um, And, of course, you can uh, send us an email at personalarrogance at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. We're on the Bald Move Facebook. We're also on the Personal Arrogance Facebook. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we, 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 we're, we're all over the place. We're, we're also on Facebook at Personal Podcast. I do want to just shout out one email that we got from CJ Mauer. He says, out of all the hours I've listened to, out of all the hours I've listened to, one segment piqued my interest and curiosity more than any others, specifically the WTF files from episode 142. In it, Jesse began to read an article from the Salt Lake Tribune. This is amazing, guys. This is really cool. This is amazing. Naturally, as a local, this piqued my interest. I braced for the immediate Id- idiocracy of my fellow Utahians. Is that how you say it? I guess so. I think it's Utah hens. I would say Utahans. Yeah, Utahans. Uh, you must understand, I have great Utah pride and love my hometown, 
But rarely do we make the news for anything good, be it for building NSA data farms dedicated to destroying liberty or whatever, or <laughs> beautiful pageant contestants just learning that there is an income gap between men and, and women. Uh, if is national, there? Uh, is there? Uh, <laughs> look into that. Yeah, maybe, don't don't ask me any questions on it because I'm not prepared. Uh, if na- if a nationally covered story comes from Utah, it's generally best to brace for impact. Uh, but the story wasn't inherently bad. In fact, it was quite the opposite. As it wasn't, uh, as it was long ago, I'm sure most will remember the story of the LDS bishop by day, samurai by night, who won. <laughs> who upon hearing the cries of his fellow man wielded his mighty sword against the villains who roamed the streets of my town. Not as fantastic as the story was. Uh, what really caught my ear was the address of where this all went down and the name of the samurai. This is because Bishop Kent Hendricks lives two blocks away from me and I have met him multiple times. <laughs> I was entirely unaware that I was living near a legend. You would never guess that this Clark Kent is actually Superman, but with a sword somehow beyond me. I missed this neighborhood story entirely, and you two were the ones to tell me the great news. That, as I crawl into bed at night, I can rest easy knowing that a hero will be watching over me. Bishop Kent Hendricks from the W2F Files. I can't believe. I cannot believe. That our listener, C.J. Maurer, lives two blocks away from him. That's awesome. I want to get him on the podcast, See, actually. If we can get if we can get Hendricks and Matt Roloff on the podcast, <laughs> it's time to die happy, guys. Yeah. Clark Kent, more like Clark Lent. <laughs> I don't know if Mormons do Lent. Probably not. I think maybe. I don't know. There's a distinct possibility. I choose not to know. Okay. So, guys, send us an email like CJ Maurer did. Personal gets at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 360-360-3620024. Also, guys, baldmove.com, because show, it's on. Uh, up here's downstairs, it's on. I think Mr. Mr. Selfridges is over now, but uh, they're still doing their shit on Masterpiece, so don't, 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 uh, don't phase out on up here's downstairs. Oh god, Game of Thrones. It's wrapping up, but there's a mega cast from Mad Brew and from Aaron and they are blowing up this season of of Game of Thrones just like it blew up your mind. Um and of course, there's just a couple more episodes of Mad Men left, so Mad Men Happy Hour is happening. Also, the uh Breaking Good Kickstarter is happening right now. There's a ton of cash in this thing, but guys, for 30 bucks you get the whole enhanced season. Now they're doing daily updates. They're doing um, instant recaps. Um, uh, but they're also, you get a t-shirt along with it all. So guys, just go in there. There's plenty of levels. Check out the Kickstarter for Breaking Good. And uh, and there's so much good stuff happening on BobMove.com. Aaron, you get a bear hug from Aaron. Dude, Aaron. That's worth at least 30, 40 bucks. Aaron is going to be staying at my apartment this August over Dude, PAX. What- when you when you hug Aaron, there's no fear in the world. You feel safe. Yeah. Uh, you feel like immortal. It's as close as immort- immortality as you can feel on this on this plane of existence in which we live. I feel like I'm in a baby Bjorn on a giant sloth. <laughs> when Aaron hugs me, uh, yeah. Yeah. Aaron will be staying at my apartment. We are going to be at PAX this summer. I'm super stoked about that as well. Baldmove.com, guys. 
baldmove.com. Let's do a Facebook roundup. Let us. For Rep 150. Um, all right. We got a lot of stuff this week because we postponed a couple times. But here we go. Jimmy Hall says, did Eric change his mind on X-Bone after Microsoft did a 180? I think we answered that. C- CJ Mauer, also Facebook, does. he said, maybe induct another beer into the Hall of Fame, maybe every 50 or 25 episodes. 50 episodes is a long-ass time. It is a long time. Although, I feel like the 100th episode wasn't that long ago. It was a long time ago. Okay. Uh, I I think we just do Bridgeport IPA. Are you okay with that? Bridgeport IPA? I want to also... I mean, this could be a rare double whammy. Okay. I want to induct Session Lager. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Love a Session Ale. Love a Bridgeport IPA. Both of well, them... It's, it's technically neither a Session nor an Ale Session. Session Lager. It's a lager, and it's like 5.4, which I wouldn't necessarily call a session, but it's called session. <laughs> but it comes in an 11-ounce bottle. And you get 11 ounces. Exactly. So. There you go. Uh, so you lose a bottle per 12-pack, but from Full Sail, uh, Session Lager, and from Bridgeport, their signature IPA, both incredibly drinkable, both incredibly delicious, and both incredibly embodying the type of beer that they are trying to make. Double win. incredibly whammy. Oregonian. <laughs> Both incredibly Oregonian. Now three of our four beers. Jesse, what is wrong with us? Three of our four beers that have been inducted in the Personal Arrogance Beer Hall of Fame are from Oregon, and the other one is from California. Zero Washington beers so far. I know, but, I mean, we said it. I I think we both agree Oregon is the number one beer state. It is. I can't. Um, I I mean, it pains us to say it as Washingtonians. I know. But we have to face the facts here and be realistic. But as Cascadians, can't, can't knock it too much. Um, <laughs> what else we got here? Uh, Anthony Araniva says, can you recommend some kid-friendly board games? I would like to get my daughters six and smiley face playing, <laughs> playing something other than Candyland. Jonathan D- uh, Droz just chimes in and says, I'm a big board game buff. And when you guys praise Flashpoint Fire Rescue, I decided to pick it up. I have to say it's a lot of fun. We played through the family game mode and, ex- and the experience game mode once. We lost both times due to the building collapsing. I just wanted to say uh, thanks for the recommendation of the game. Can you guys recommend a few others that I could add to my collection? Thanks again. Um, so first of all, Anthony, uh, Flashpoint I think is a game you can play with a – six might be a little young. But yeah, I don't know, but I mean if you look further on, we have someone saying Carcassonne for yeah. a six-year-old. That's true. Anthony, uh, Aaron Martinez says, my seven-year-old loves Carcassonne. Seven-year-old. Yeah. I mean, if you're really actually enjoying and playing Carcassonne in a, on a, you know, the level it's meant to be played with a seven-year-old, that makes me super stoked to be seven years along the way with my daughter. Yeah. Or six years. I mean, basically, she's almost a year old. Totally. So, I mean, that, I, I'm very, very excited about that. But yeah, Carcassonne. Yeah. I think Hive would be really good, uh-huh. and uh, obviously Adventure Kids, which Crunchy from South Australia recommends oh, yeah. highly. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't play a lot. Zularetto might be fun, but that might be a little advanced. Yeah. It's hard. It, this is a hard question for us to answer because yeah. we're, we don't have kids. Not quite there yet. <laughs> I mean, I... I you have do daughter, have a kid, by the way. <laughs> she, she loves this cool game. We play this game called Blocks. Uh-huh. And uh, she has a block, and she will uh, try and eat it. There's this other game called um, Poop in Your uh, Diaper, and she's really good at it. I'm not she, – she she beats me every time. 
It's cooperative, though. Yeah. It I is do, cooperative. That does it makes sense though. If like if Carcassonne works, I really do think Flashpoint, the family version, could work. I think uh, so too. Kids. It's an easy enough concept. It's like move, put out fire, rescue people. That's are, it. like your three options. The end. Uh, and it's also a cheap game. Um, and if your kids do pick up Flashpoint, then you can also probably play. Red November with them. However, Red November does have drinking in it, which we did realize after we recommended it to Crunchy. That's fine. You do get drunk in that game. Grog is great. Grog is great. Um, Josh Perigo from Maine says, uh, my favorite moment from the last 149 is when Eric describes his Taco Bell shame when coming home to his wife (laughs) with a bag containing half the menu. We've all been there before. I just want to say, Josh, my wife read that comment, and she thought that was hilarious. <laughs> uh, Sean Keefe says, Power Hour, may the best man win slash survive. Josh, little do you know we have been doing Power Hour this whole time. Uh, James Patterson, we answered your question in a segment. Jesse Booker says, Xbox U-Turn, how the family sharing plan was supposedly just sharing of demos of games that you had in your library. I, th- I want to be able to share games. I think that if one person buys a game, you should be able to play it with your friends. Um, and they don't have to be in your living room to play it. But that's just me. Yeah, I don't know. Rob Zip, <laughs> he is... I, is Rob Zip the one who said Get Off My Back originally? I think so. I think he might have been the originator of Get Off My Back. But we asked him what we what they would, what he would like us to touch on in this week's show. And he said, Touch Your Balls. Well, done and done. Done and done. Uh, consider that done on every single episode, by the way, Rob. <laughs> I am wearing basketball shorts right now. So so I'm, I'm actually wearing your basketball shorts. I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Things, oh, wow. Things this just got, weird. got weird. Things just got really, really weird. Oh, God. I wear those shorts all the time, by the way. I know you do. <laughs> You've worn them on multiple occasions, and every time I'm like, are those my shorts? And you're just like, yep. <laughs> Had it for two years. Yeah, more than two years. Yeah. Um, oh boy. So anyway, guys, thank you so much for for uh, being on our Facebook this week. Once again, fans, listeners, friends, we love you. One fifty is dedicated to you in a big, big way. Jesse, what is your first recommendation? Oh geez, um, I want to recommend actually uh, Father's Day Beer Fest here in Washington State. Eric, yes. you have to go next year. All right. I'm actually really surprised. I, have you been to a beer fest? I've been to Strange Brew. Oh, Strange Brew doesn't count. Strange Brew is the worst beer fest. Okay. <laughs> it's crowded. It's cold, and the beer sucks. Yep. Um, Father's Day Fest. It's in Marymore Park. Uh-huh. Which is a, a really cool place to have a beer festival. Yep. Uh, it's over a three-day weekend, so you can go Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I would recommend Friday because a lot of breweries, like, bring special beers for mm-hmm. Friday only. Oh. And um, the only downside of that is Friday's the only night that's not all ages. So it depends. If you want to bring a kid, no. you can't go on Friday. But uh, the lines are short. And uh, the weather's nice. It's a really cool environment. It's outside. There's plenty of space. And uh, there's it's the biggest beer festival in the state. Everyone's – freaking everyone is there. Yeah. And um, I went there last weekend because I was working it, but I had a really good time. And um, Beer fest, baby. 
Eric, I think you'd really enjoy it. I mean, it's like if uh, it's like the exhibition hall of packs if every single booth was beer. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Dude, like you would really enjoy it. Next year, you're going to come. Uh-huh. I'm going to be there working it, so we'll have a good time together, mm-hmm. and I'll show you the glory that can be Father's Day Fest because it's really cool. There's a lot of really cool beers there, and uh, what's and it's the only it's the only beer festival where you can bring your kids on Saturday and Sunday. It's all ages. Right, so it's get neat. your kids drunk. Father's Day Beer Fest. <laughs> or any Beer Fest. My first recommendation this week is going to be uh, the last three episodes of the Arrested Development season. Uh? I did not realize how much they turned it on, but the Buster episode, which I believe was the second to last episode, uh, is amazing. Like, I thought the Tobias episodes were amazing. The Buster episode is amazingly amazing. <sighs> So hit up the Buster episode and right. uh, and the two George Michael episodes. Arrested Development, do it. What's your recommendation? Uh, well, I've mentioned it before. I've been playing it more with Tasha. It's Hive. Mm-hmm. It's a two-player game. And I actually really do think this would be a good game for younger kids. All right. Um, the pieces are totally solid. Um, set up and tear down is like in seconds, you know, super fast. Yep. The game's play out in 10 to 15 minutes and uh the rules are really easy to remember it's one of those games like two-player block is where uh it's very straightforward and uh you know it makes sense but it's actually a really sophisticated strategy game so how about block duo for kids block duo for kids as well yeah totally that and uh, Hive and, I don't know, Hill 218, and you'll have some fucking mastermind <laughs> Machiavellian kids right. who are going to manipula- manipulate you for the rest of your life. So that would be great. I think the first time I learned how to play chess, I was probably like seven years old. I started playing chess really early, too. Yeah. Um, I love chess. Chess is my all- – I think if I had to – I mean, if I had to say what's the greatest game of all time, I would mm. definitely say chess. Arkham Horror. <laughs> Um, so my second top, my second recommendation this week is, guys, help me out. CT1, hashtag S-E-A-T-E-E, the number one. Help me get to the Mariners game. Help help a bunch of people wear a Game of Thrones-inspired T-shirt. Hashtag S-E-A-T-E-E-1. You can vote every single day. Tweet that shit. CT1. Do it. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the 150th episode of the Personal Arrogance Podcast. Thank you for listening to the previous 150. And uh, and thank you again for listening. Guys, you're, you are our bread and butter. You are the lifeblood of this cast. And thank you for being a part of it as much as you are. Um, we love you so much. And uh, we just want to remind you that wherever you go. Oh, whatever you do. Please stay. Stay arrogant. arrogant.
Thank <laughs> you.